Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Have you had a leaky roof? We did, and it was a nightmare. But through Angie, we found an amazing roofer who specialized in flat roofs, and he fixed it right and quickly. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and website are both free to use. That's Angie.com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Well, is it, uh, is it a protest inside the White House? Or is there something going on here that, you know, we're all missing somehow? It's the Hurricane Harvey is shattering, battering, slamming. Houston and environs in Texas right now. And our our best wishes and hopes and prayers and, and, and thoughts are absolutely with all the people who are facing the extraordinary power of nature right now. Uh, a power of nature tempered or exacerbated, actually, by global warming, by the very industry that is responsible for Houston's prosperity. The, the, the fossil fuel industry. But in any case, the, the question in my mind is, uh, why did the White House send out these two pictures? David Edwards has this piece over at Raw Story this morning. You can see it. Um, one photo is of Donald Trump at, at Camp David in a, sitting all alone at a big table. The other picture is the Situation Room in the White House, and Mike Pence is convening a strategy session with about a dozen people. So the White House just sent out pictures this morning making it look like, you know, Pence is running the show and Trump is all alone. And did did Kelly say, okay, Don, you've been a bad boy, sit in that chair? Somehow I doubt it. But it's very strange stuff. It's very strange stuff. Chris, not sure I ever got my one sheet. Anyhow, I, I, uh, 
I want to talk to uh, the Antifa movement. I wanted to give you guys a, a heads up. They're coming for you. Some of us have seen this movie before. I, you know, when I was in SDS in the 60s, there was, whenever we'd have public meetings, I remember one in particular really stuck in my head. It was outside the uh, Student Union building. This would have been around 1967 or 68. And uh, Brad Lang, as I recall, was one of the leaders of SDS at the time at MSU, and he was giving a talk about social justice and ending the war and all that kind of stuff. And this one guy kept yelling, you know, hey, we got to burn down the, R the ROTC, you know, burn down the ROTC building, you know, kill the pigs. This is this guy's refrain. I still remember it. And uh, later after, you know, years later, some, uh, some of the folks who'd been involved in SDS sued the, uh, the local police and the state police to get their personal files and discovered that that guy who was yelling burn down the ROTC building was either a police officer or an informant. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember which, but it was one or the other. In my dad's generation... It was a guy named Marna, Marinus or Marinus van der Lubbe. You familiar with this name? This is, I'm, I'm telling you, I've, you know, a, a year or two or at the most three from now, we will be sitting and talking and looking back on this moment. And you'll, you'll be saying, holy cow, uh, that guy really did play the role of Marinus van der Lubbe. Ernest van der Lubbe was a, uh, depending on who you ask, a mentally retarded or schizophrenic or paranoid or something, a uh, young Dutch man who called himself a communist. And whether or not Hitler's people facilitated this is still something that's being debated by historians, but it appears the, the German Parliament building, much like the U.S. Capitol building, had tunnels going out from underneath it. And one of them went to an office building in which one of Hitler's right-hand men basically, you know, had an office. And the story goes that von der Lubbe was taken from that office, this guy's office, down into the basement, through the little tunnel to the Parliament building, up into the Parliament building, and, and the Parliament building was decorated with all these... Uh, long, uh, what are, what do they call the, 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 uh, yeah, tapestries. Thank you. These, uh, you know, elegantly done, many of them from like the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries. And he set them on fire. And pretty soon the whole parliament building was on fire. And, uh, Hitler had just recently been appointed chancellor. And so he rushes over, he was having dinner with von Papen at the time, and, and, or maybe it was Hindenburg, and he runs over to the, to the building and calls a press conference. The, the press meets him there. It was all radio back then. And, uh, you know, he was being, Hitler was being attacked at that point by, by the left. They said he was a simpleton, that he, he well, the entire press, you know, that, that he didn't know how to speak well. He had this weird kind of Southern accent. It was Aust actually Austrian uh, mingled with, uh, you know, Munich beer hall accent, uh, which he got rid of, by the way, he took lessons in public speaking, but they said that, you know, he's just, he's just a dumb guy. He desperately wanted to be appreciated and loved by the old money crowd, but he also knew deep down inside that they hated him, that they'd never accept him. 
but he knew that this terrorist was going to strike. He was ready for this. And he knew that it was going to solve his problem. So when he heard that the, that the, that the parliament building was on fire, he rushed over there and said, and I quote, you are now witnessing the beginning of a great epic in history. This fire is a sign from God that we must declare an all-out war on terrorism. This is what Hitler said, standing in front of the parliament building. And the terrorists he identified, that communist who set this building on fire. Instantly, well, within two weeks, the first detention center for communists, for terrorists, was built in Oranienburg to hold the first suspected allies of Marinus, Marinus van der Lubbe. So, you know, the, the, this whole thing, the police could now intercept mail, they could wiretap phones, suspected terrorists could be imprisoned without specific charges and without access to their lawyers. Police could execute sneak and peeks, they could come into your home without a warrant or would not tell you that they had the warrant or not tell you that they were in, their home, in your home. He passed, it was called the Patriotic Decree on the Protection of People and State. It was the German version of the Patriot Act. And citizens who protested the leader in public, and there were many, quick, quickly found themselves confronting the newly empowered police's batons, gas, and jail cells, fenced off in protest zones. In the meantime, he was constantly talking up the threat of these other people among the German people, while armed gangs terrorized minorities and smashed windows in Jewish-owned businesses. He brought a formerly obscure word into common usage. He, he started in 1934. Rudolf Hess uh, used the word when he introduced uh, Hitler at the 1934 Nuremberg rally, which was made into the 1935 movie Triumph of Will by Lenny Reifenstahl. The word was Heimat. It means homeland. And what does that say? Well, it says that Germany is a biological you're German by virtue of your DNA. You know, it's, it's a biological heritage, a destiny. It is your homeland. It's not just our country. Bluden Erd. I was always saying Bluden Erd. Somebody, Bluden Bowden, uh, Sue corrected me last week. Thank you for that, Sue. Bluden Bowden, uh, the, the, you know, blood and soil, blood and dirt. And uh, so anyhow, this it just goes on and on. I mean, the, the parallels between 1934 Germany and today are pretty shocking. And I am just, I'm telling you, I am just waiting. Somewhere out there is a Marin, Marinus van der Lubbe. Whether he is an, an Antifa person who is like, you know, a true believer and firmly committed and knows that he's doing the right thing, or whether he's some right winger who's going to try and pull a... Uh, you know, a variation on these uh, outed videos that that uh, James O'Keefe is promoting constantly, uh, you know, where he heavily edits videos to make one thing look like another thing. Whichever it's going to be, I predict it's going to be, and it's going to it's going to seriously blemish Antifa. So that's that's my prediction for what's coming up. Anyhow, as uh, as we continue, hang on just a second here, there we go. As we continue through the day, uh, there, is, there is just so much in the news right now. There is this, there is uh, 
Trump is banning the military equipment uh, for police. There's there's just a, a, a mind-boggling amount of stuff that's going on that we will get to as we continue through the day. But, you know, your thoughts on this all, you know, is was Trump's pardon of Joe Arpaio, I want to get into that too at some point. Was this because he wanted to shout out to his base and he knows that they love Arpaio? He, he tested it at the rally in Phoenix last week. Or was this because he wants to shout out to Paul Manafort and Michael Flynn to say, hey guys, keep your mouths shut, keep invoking the fifth, I've got your back. Or was it both? Welcome back, Tom Harvin here with you. So is Trump signaling that the law is in his hands now? This is, uh, you know, the, the level of outrage around the Arpaio uh, pardon is huge and it's going to get bigger. Because, uh, first of all, the, 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 the traditional strategy for doing presidential pardons is fairly structured and drawn out. And Trump did not acknowledge or respect or follow that tradition at all. Now, there's a reason for that tradition. And the tradition is you wait until after all the judicial process is finished, all the appeals are done. Arpaio was going to appeal. He would have taken it all the way to the Supreme Court. You wait until that's all done. And then if the guy's still alive and you can build a strong case for the appeal, You run that, or for the pardon, rather, you run that pardon past a bunch of lawyers in the White House, as well as your political people, but particularly the lawyers, to make sure that, A, it's appropriate, and B, that the pardon is written in a way and and performed in a way that doesn't, you know, establish some weird precedent and that is, uh, you know, what it is. Now, the pardon power of the president is absolute and unregulated, essentially. The only the only limitation about upon the presidential pardon power in the Constitution is that he cannot pardon out of you know, he cannot pardon himself or others out of impeachment. And this is where the founders recognized that impeachment was not actually a legal process; it was a political process, and so they put that in there in you know as the one caveat on the pardon uh, on the pardon the power to pardon. But Trump did none of that. This was not actually even a pardon of Joe Arpaio. I mean, Joe Arpaio, yes, he was convicted, but he's got appeals. He's got he's out on bail. He's got you know, he could just live his life just fine for probably many years to come. And the guy's 85. Probably live his life for many years to come before his appeals are ever heard, et cetera. And, you know, but, you know, Trump did this. For some very specific reasons, he did this as a shout out to his base and he did this. I'm I am convinced as a way of saying to, uh, to others, don't even think about, don't even think about, uh, you know, speaking to the, to the police, you know, Hey, Paul Manafort, Hey, uh, Michael Flynn, you know, if you guys haven't already rolled over on me, hang on to it because I have the pardon, the power of pardon. Meanwhile, You'll recall uh, Richard Nixon, no, Ronald Reagan started this practice of the military giving surplus military gear to police departments. Now, the reason they did this, of course, is to increase the demand for military hardware 
that is manufactured by people who are big supporters of Republican governments. And I mean that with a capital R. Uh, the, the, the defense industry. Well, they're good, they're good friends of Democrats, too, or at least many Democrats. But it's, it, you know, it's, it's particularly, they're particularly in bed with the Republicans. And Reagan put this program into place. What came out of this program was the hyper-militarization of our police departments all across the country. And Ob President Obama said, hey, wait a minute, this is not a good thing. You know, our police department, your local community police department does not need, you know, a sound cannon. It does not need a Humvee with a, with a machine gun on the back. It does not need, it does not need you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, uh, weapons of war, of automatic weapons and semi-automatic weapons. It doesn't need, you know, these uh, literally weapons of war. And Trump now is going to, uh, Jeff Sessions is giving a speech today at the Fraternal Order of Police. And he is in all probability going to announce that they are going to change this. They're going to end the Obama-era policy of banning this. And they're going to go back to the military shoveling hundreds of millions of dollars worth of, quote, surplus, end quote, military hardware to police departments. So it can then be replaced by the, by the defense industry. Fantasy football fans, the wait is nearly over. Football is back, which means FanDuel is back. FanDuel is fantasy football for everyday fans. They have new contests starting every week, so there's no busted seasons. FanDuel has something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from, starting at just $1. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score in real time. Hey, would you like to have Colin Kaepernick on your team? He's on mine. There's a lot of ways to put together and personalize your team, and boy, the games just get better and better. Every, over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Sign up today. Go to FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M. New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million with over $1 million in cash prizes when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. That's FanDuel, F-A-N-D-U-E-L dot com, promo code TOM, void where prohibited. Welcome back. Another news of the uh, Friday news dump uh, done out of the White House. Uh, General Mattis was given uh, wide discretion, is the phrase that Michael Gordon and Emily Cochran use in their headline in the New York Times. Uh, Trump gives Mattis wide discretion over transgender ban. The uh, it's so weird. I mean, there's there's one one part in the article where it talks about how Donald Trump had campaigned as a man who was going to protect gay and trans people, and you know he and he, and he's not. And this is just, this is just terrible. I, it, this is from the article. Captain Jennifer Peace, 32, said Mr. Trump's announcement of the ban last month prompted her to tell her new brigade campaign, uh, commander that she had transitioned three years ago, a fact she said was not relevant until the policy change. The only thing I've ever asked for is to be treated like every other soldier, said Captain Peace, who's been deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan. She said that the ban has brought anxiety both to her family and to the unit of 70 people she leads 
at Joint Base Lewis-McChord in Washington State and that the new directive fell short of L.A. in their concerns. The clarity isn't there yet, Captain Peace said in the memo. How is my deployability any different from anyone else's? I'm as capable as anyone in the unit. And then the New York Times notes, Mr. Trump cast himself as a defender of gay and transgender rights during the 2016 presidential campaign. So another lie from Donald Trump. And meanwhile, this is the last thing for this hour that I share with you, and we'll pick up your phone calls here. Uh, President Obama had put into place new standards for construction in areas that have been flooded, that have been saved with federal flood dollars. Said, you know, if the federal government has to bail you out when you rebuild, you have to rebuild to standards that are sustainable. And this is called the Federal Flood Risk Management Standard. It was established in 2015 by by President Obama. And uh, guess what? Trump just rolled it back. As the New York Times notes, article by Lisa Friedman, August 15th of this year, the Obama-era rule gave federal agencies three options to flood-proof new infrastructure projects. They could use the best available climate change science, they would, and obviously that's the part that the Trump, Trump, Trumpets, Trumpistas, whatever the heck they are, don't, don't like. They could require that standard projects like roads and railways be built two feet above the national 100-year flood elevation standard and critical buildings like hospitals be built three feet higher, or they could require infrastructure to be built to at least the 500-year floodplain. Now, none of those are unreasonable requests. Representative Ralph Abraham of Louisiana, a Republican who sponsored legislation that would have blocked Mr. Obama's flood standard, said he was thrilled by Mr. Trump's decision. Right, Louisiana, a state that's like, you know, large part of that state is floodplain. Uh, The Obama administration had estimated that the more stringent standards would increase construction costs by a quarter to one and a quarter percent, but save taxpayers money in the long run because we're not going to have to bail out people anymore. I mean, the 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 uh, the uh, what do you call it event in, in Houston is now being described as a one in a million event. This is what happens when you have a degree warmer Earth. Uh, you know, almost two degrees Fahrenheit, a degree warmer Celsius. Your ocean temperatures are more than a degree warmer, which is what fuels hurricanes. And you've got more than 6% more moisture in the atmosphere now than you had in 1980. So you've got just an absolute mess. Anyhow, Dana in Towson, Maryland. Hey, Dana, what's on your mind today? Hey, how are you? This is really an honor. (laughs) Well, thank you, Dana. What's on your mind? Um, no, I'm a long-time listener. I've tried to call a couple times, but always busy. So I'm like, okay, he's popular. So total honor. Um, I am Jewish, so I just want to go to the other side because there's so many, you know, the right-wing hypocrites that cherry-pick the Bible. You know, they want to they want to save the fetus, but they don't want to save the baby. They don't want to pay for it. Right. You know, and I mean, the hypocritical stuff. So to all these people who are in the, with Trump, you know, the Cones, the Mnuchins, they need to go. I mean, I, I, the day that I saw the Nazi flags in Charlottesville, my grandma's whole family was wiped out in the camp. Whole family. And I vomited. Now I got, you know, there, there are practicing Christians and practicing Jews. These people don't practice. And people need to understand that. Stop with the, they're Jewish, they're Jewish. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean they're practicing it. 
Yeah. I mean, Jared Kushner's father sending incendiary photos to the wife, remember, of his brother or his sister. He sent pictures of his sister to his sister, of his wife, you know, with another man. And Mike Pence married Steve Mnuchin, who married a goyish shiksa. I mean, give me a break. Okay. Dana, uh, thank you for your opinion. Carol in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Carol, what's on your mind? Oh, hi, Tom. Um, I, I'm, I want to go back. I'm going to take you off speakerphone. I want to go back just a little bit. On Inauguration Day, there was something that I saw that, that just really upset me, and it was all of these Antifa people running through town, tipping over garbage cans and all the rest of the, the stuff. But that was Inauguration Day, and the next day there was the, the, the Women's March. Yeah, those were not anti-fascists on Inauguration Day. Those Pardon? were those were not anti-fascists. Those were not Antifa people. They were that was oh. the black box faction here in Washington D.C. that oh. has been doing okay. this for years and years, and they and they believe that anarchy is going to save us all. Okay. Well, but at the same time, around that time, I saw that Eric Prince was an advisor to Donald Trump, and I know yes. you know who Eric Prince is, the guy who was Blackwater, who ripped off the American public. Right, from, and Betsy Vaughn yeah. lost his brother, by the way. Right, and then he was Z, and now he's incorporated in Dubai because he left the U.S. because of the lawsuits that were there. And I would not be surprised if Antifa is populated with some of his people to make it more violent. I mean, this has been, I'm, I'm with you. This has been, to me, kind of like a, the Antifa thing is like a replay of the 60s. Yep. It's a replay of the things that were done to denigrate and destroy the peace movement that um, was working. And, in fact, the, the stories about the Vietnam vets, we had more Vietnam vets in our group at times than we had ordinary citizens because they were with us. They had been there. Named, they knew how bad Vietnam was, and they knew we didn't belong there. Yeah. It's also a replay of the 30s. I mean, this is, this is how hardcore right-wing governments respond to left-wing protest is they destroy it. Basically, they infiltrated or they blame, you know, blame it on things. And, you know, we saw this uh, with the, the well, uh, the first time uh, the, the Black Panthers showed up with guns in California. That was, you know, instantly California had gun control. Um, you know, we, we saw this with the, you know, the, the, the hyper demonization of the Weather Underground, which is a small and frankly ineffective, uh, you know, cell that, that grew out of out of. Uh, out of SDS, I, I, I think that, as, as I said, this, this thing is going to go down. It's going to, within a relatively short period of time, I'm expecting a year at the most, it will be impossible for me on this program to defend Antifa because there will be so many, everybody agrees, terrible acts committed in that organization's name. Now, whether they were committed by true believers or whether they were committed by uh, you know, right-wing crazies who have infiltrated the movement almost doesn't matter. Um, but it's going to be the, the the corporate press and the the right-wing press that's going to and they're and they're setting it up right now. That's going to take them down. They're setting it up right now. This is a very very dangerous time for this country. Uh, it's a very very one. Uh, Carol, thanks for the call. Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Hey, Chaz, what's up? 
Hey, Tom, I want to uh, discredit uh, the myth of uh, violence on the uh, left. You touched a little bit on it with the last caller. Yeah. Uh, let's see. If you ask yourself, uh, is it the left or is it the alt-right, which one bring guns to protest? Yeah. Oh, it's which the alt-right. Which one has a stormfront web presence? Which one has a Discord chat program? Which one is legislating running down protesters? Uh, the right doesn't have a Heather Heyer. I mean, you're right that there are agent provocateurs that are very likely infiltrating uh, left protesters, and we've got to be mindful of that. When you have callers that say, well, look, we got to start uh, adopting some of the conservative side and start getting a little bit radical. Well, that's not how it's going to work as you're talking. You know, the, right. the meek shall inherit the earth. Yeah, and I had two callers last week who were basically uh, arguing for for uh, aggressive activism, shall we say. And uh, and I'm still not sure if those were right-wing trolls or not. There's no way in our short period of time we're ever going to be that good. Yeah. But I, you know, I I think that uh, if you, uh, I'm forgetting the woman's name. There was a woman who was murdered by a, uh, a, quote, illegal alien in San Francisco um, back six, eight, ten months ago, something like that, or last year, I guess. And that one woman... Her name is memorized by everybody on the right, right? Uh, they, they've, they've named legislation after her. Donald Trump campaigned on her. They cast all uh, un, un, undoc- undocumented uh, uh, people in the United States as the, basically the perpetrators of Kate Steinle's murder. And that guy stole uh, a cop's gun. Uh, there's, it's inexcusable, but but you oh, know, I know. you're going to have. Those but that's the, that's the point. Out. Once they've got their martyr, once they have their victim, it's like the, the, the left is, you know, we're, we're not like, you know, naming laws to stop police violence or naming laws to start stop right wing violence, for that matter, uh, after Heather Heyer. You know, the, the left does a really poor job of creating martyrs. The right, it's an art form. They are absolutely going to do this, and they are waiting for their Heather Heyer moment, for their their Reichstaggebüge moment, for their for their you know whatever. They they are waiting for this. And you're right, it is a myth. Violence on the left, by and large, is a myth. Um, although you know the Russian Revolution did happen. <laughs> Chaz, thanks for the call. We'll be back with more of your calls. The news of the day. My thoughts on all of them. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. And uh, let's see here. John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, what's on your mind? today? Yeah, um, I just wanted to say, I mean, clearly from your reading of, of one of your books, I can't remember the name of it, that you have a very strong feeling for working class people. And, you know, I don't understand why it is that when people leave the working class, which, you know, most of us do, that we, you know, don't in turn still identify with that and still hold on to the fact that that's where we came from. Uh, and I have some suspicions about it. I, I think classism or identifying with the middle class, uh, you know, because they're the winners and, you know, the working class are the losers. And I've had some very interesting experiences with people who I thought, you know, because they belonged to unions, they identified 
as a working class person, and uh, that was not the case at all. And in fact, almost came to blows with somebody at, at uh, a gym in St. Anthony. And you know, St. Anthony now is notorious for be, as revealed as being very bigoted, St. Anthony, Minnesota. But uh, this person was a teamster, and you know, I know the history of the of uh, the working class mainly because. When I went to school, when I went to college, I studied it. I made a point of knowing more about it. I was fascinated with all the stories that uh, my father, who also died of asbestosis and probably mesothelioma, I think they lied to him. They didn't tell him his real diagnosis. But, you know, we have to have uh, solidarity. And instead of identifying, I think this is part of the American dream that's kind of a nightmare, that uh, people, you know, just make up their own history and they forget where they come from and they're not interested in their fellow man. I mean, I want to have the scaffolding of society, you know, back in place where the working class have enough to eat, have are properly housed, have opportunities for education and all of that. And until we actually develop a sense of solidarity, and I don't, I don't want to use Marxian terms, but we... Ha- we there's many, many people here that have false class consciousness, and I don't know if it's unique to this country or not. I, I, I do know somebody from Sheffield, uh, UK, who now is an American citizen, and I know he is working class through and through, even though he is a professional, right. you know, person. He will I think never that this leave, is uh, his working class roots. Yeah, the, the big the, the major accomplishment of the Reagan era was the splitting of working class people from working class institutions, specifically unions, but other working class institutions as well. Um, you know, public libraries, uh, public spaces, uh, the idea of the commons, you know, separate and, and causing working class people to think that they are merely temporarily inconvenienced millionaires and therefore and and the the and recalibrating the american dream prior to the reagan election prior to the reagan administration people uh you know kids they, they, there's this magazine highlights they they published this a couple of years ago that goes out to used to go to, I, i'm assuming it still does used to go to schools all over the country and every year they would run this contest what do you want to be when you grow up and up until the 1980s almost always one of the top 3 categ- categories was president of the united states or some sort of public service, right? And now, well, actually, I'm not sure about now, but this is because this was probably five or 10 years ago that I read this. Um, But since the 80s, basically, since the Reagan administration, what kids are saying they want to grow up to be are captains of industry. I want to be Bill Gates when I grow up. I want to be a billionaire. And I think that there, there has been a very successful recalibration of our hopes and aspirations. And, and blurring of the lines of class in this country. And I don't think that it was unintentional. I think that this is very, very strategic. John, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Holly in Marshall, Missouri. Hey, Holly, what's up? Oh, hi, Tom. I just saw the other day on Free Speech TV, I think it was yesterday, it was just about this very thing about class warfare that John was just talking about. Mm-hmm. And... It, uh, it, I didn't realize it was in, in, started around the time of the Industrial Revolution, and there were general strikes, and thugs came out and beat them and into submission, and they passed laws against uh, against them. And there was a group called the Wobblies, and 
Yep. Um, They're still the, around, the, by the way, the WWW. The constant the propaganda, and, they, and, then they, and even the draft laws were, were, were used to drag all the young men off to wars mm-hmm. uh, and off the farms where they were desperately needed. So the propaganda and agents provocateurs are very, very old, very old technique of the right to cling to their power. And I'm I'm very concerned that it's going to be used against the left and it's going to be used fairly quickly. And that the more uh, Trump finds himself backed into a corner, the more he's likely to, to use this kind of thing and use it to divide America in order to uh, ensure his survival, his personal survival. This guy is only concerned about himself and his family. He, he you know, his, his universe is very, very small and, uh, you know, clearly has little room for empathy for others uh, outside of his family members. And I'm not even sure that he has much empathy for them, <laughs> given how he... No, I yeah. don't think so. <laughs> yeah, how he, how he treats them. I mean, it's all, it's all pretty amazing. Uh, Holly, thank you for the call. We'll see how this shakes out. Uh, I, I should write a piece about this and send it off to uh, Common Dreams or Alternate or Truth Out or somebody and uh, see what comes out of it. Anyhow, we'll be back. Uh, Julio Rivera is going to be with us. We're going to uh, debate Joe Arpaio, which should be interesting. Stick around. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is Julio Rivera, the editorial director of the uh, very conservative Reactionary Times, contributor to Newsmax and ReactionaryTimes.com, the website. You can tweet him at, oh, yeah, it's Julio. Uh, And... uh, Julio, welcome back. So uh, Joe Arpaio was convicted of ordering his cops to stop people who looked like you, who looked Hispanic, mm-hmm. and, and you know, basically intimidate them. And there's this long line of people whose families have been in Arizona for generations who are saying, you know, I got intimidated, I got hassled, I got busted, I had my civil rights compromised by Joe Arpaio. Why are why is Donald Trump congratulating that kind of behavior? Is this a shout out to his white racist base that, yes, you know, that he he hates Hispanics. They hate hate Hispanics. And and we're going to support anybody who hates Hispanics. Good policing is not racist. Okay, we have to enforce the letter of the law. And the one thing that you're not taking into consideration here is that our pile is a sheriff on a border state. I mean, there's so much. Uh, illegal immigration pouring into there and the negative effect that it has on this country. You say nothing about the 1927 commutations, clemency granted by the executive branch by Barack Obama to people like these drug dealers that are killing our fathers, our sons, our brothers. Wait a minute. Do you just change the topic to Barack Obama? Honest to God, this is your strategy, Julio? You're going to complain yeah, about Obama. Obama's gone. Me and they asked me for ID and anything that they wanted. I'd say, you know what? You're doing a great job, officer. So you're fine living in a police state. Thank you for asking. You're just fine living in a police state. And if the day comes when they say, you know, Julio, state. because you're Hispanic, you've got to wear a purple star on your shirt. You're going to say, fine, I'll do that. Or Latino descent or whatever you want to call it. You going to answer my question? Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I will. It sounded to me like you were saying that you're just fine living in a police state and that if somebody like Arpaio came along and said, Julio, you got to wear an, an orange star on your shirt every day because you're Hispanic, that's fine with you. And that's not, you can't equate it 
to what happened during the Holocaust. I think that's so, uh, and that's not what they're trying to do either. Basically, what they're doing is if you're stopped by the police and you're driving in the car, they're required to ask you for identification. And the reason it became a flashpoint. But they're not required to stop you, Julio. Defend people who are being stopped in vehicle stops. If you are stopped in a vehicle, whether you're American or whoever you are, you have to show documentation and proof that you own that vehicle, that you're registered to drive. But the police don't have to stop every vehicle. They have to stop vehicles that they believe are involved in the commission of a crime. And and simply being brown while driving isn't committing a crime. These are not immigrants. I know everybody tries to have. I was just listening to your previous segment where you were talking about emotion being more important than intellect or or common sense or whatever. However, I forgot how you phrased it. Oh, that was that was a book report. No, Julio, you you heard that. Most people didn't. And there's a lot of illegal immigrants in this country. So. Okay, so let me let me just get this right. You mm-hmm. are. What what would it take to cause you it's to that, say, you know, it's not a police state. I don't look at it like my government has there, stepped over the I'm line. A Jew in Nazi Germany. It's not like that. I'm a what would it take? Memory. All they're going to do is ask me for ID, which I will happily provide. To what them would it and take pat them on the back for doing their job? Okay, so w- at what point do you say, hey, you're not doing your job anymore? You don't you don't mind being stopped in traffic because of the way you look. That's what you're saying, right? No, I mean, if it's, if I live in a border state and they have that much of a problem, I think in time it's a temporary issue. Once it becomes a, an environment that's hostile to illegals, what happens is they will leave. If you start sanctioning the people that hire these people then you find them to the point where they're never going to take that risk again to save a little money on labor. The opportunities dry up and self-deportation, which a lot of people hit Mitt Romney on, and I'm a conservative, and I certainly had a lot of reasons to hit Mitt Romney, but that's a real concept. Once you sanction the employers, once you um, start doing a little bit of grabbing and uh, deporting, you know, uh, the people will realize that they're not, you know, you know, in a friendly sanctuary sort of environment anymore and will leave. It does happen. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. And and have written about that, that, that you know, and, and what I keep saying is we don't have an illegal immigrant problem in this country. We have an illegal employer problem in this country that you've got yeah, uh, you, you, you've got broadsheet newspapers being given away just south of the border with help wanted ads in Spanish for meatpacking companies in the northern in the northern states. And and, you know, you've got companies that are openly advertising for people. If you can get to the United States, we'll hire you. And and that's wrong. That's an absolute wrong thing. But the fact of the matter is that conservatives and Republicans have known this forever. You know, 14 years ago, I, I on this show, I, I was broadcasting from one of these anti-immigration conferences, you know, and, and sitting there talking with Pat Buchanan. And 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 I'm like, Pat, you know, this this problem that we have is because of white, wealthy employers. When are we going to come down on them? And he's like, oh, you know. Well, I don't remember specifically what Pat Buchanan said, but but, you know, it, broadly speaking, I'm telling of, you, I see a lot of people for, levels, for decades always- now. The Republicans have been laying the blame on brown people rather than on rich white employers. They're going to continue to play you. Well, it's no, it's a combination of both. But I see it at all levels because I see low level employers, people that run smaller businesses that employ illegals. I see people that just get these people to do work on their houses. Or do this or do oh, that. Oh, sure. Whatever, once once know. the big guys have, have you know, uh, certified it as okay, everybody else doesn't. But that's a combination of both, because the other part you have to understand is because of the porous border, what we're letting in is the drugs. 
It's really the drugs and the, the, the effect that it has on the society. No, the majority of the drugs coming into this country, as well as the labor. You know, we've got a, we, for example, we have a big problem right now, with fentanyl killing people all across the country. Mm-hmm. That stuff is coming from China and North Korea. It's not coming, coming from, from Mexico. In, this um, country, in a lot of ways, too. But I think that what winds up happening but, is... But back to my original question, Julio, you, you know, you, 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 I'm, I'm saying what Joe Arpaio was doing is wrong. It's unconstitutional. No, it's I, don't think it's, I don't think it's wrong or unconstitutional And, and a federal all. court agreed with me. But it's, it's in the enforcement of the law. Listen, there's a lot of... We no, he was breaking the law. Activism. That's why he was prosecuted. doesn't mean what it used to be if it intrudes with someone's feelings. He was breaking we have the law. We million upwards of people here that should not be here. At a certain point, America has to enforce their laws. And that's so you're okay with the president of the United States saying that somebody who breaks the law and is convicted of it, uh, you know, breaks the Constitution. I mean, this wasn't just the law. The Constitution, the Constitution guarantees due process to all people. It doesn't. They're not here legally. That's the, not their Constitution. The 14th Amendment does not say... Only citizens have equal protection. All people have equal protection. Throughout the Constitution, it refers well, to the people. people counted as illegal immigrants. I'm sorry, I hate to say it like that. But illegal like, immigrants you know, have rights the, the too. The fact that they have on this country, they should be met with a hostile environment so they leave. So, okay, so, the so then you're, wow. You realize what kind of slippery slope this is from what you're saying right now to FDR locking up the Japanese? We're going to ask you for ID, and if you're not here legally, you have to leave. That's what I mean by hostile, not physically hostile. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's what's going on, but that's, wow, okay. That's fine. Well, Dave, you know what? That's the the law being enforced. No, that's the law being broken. That was what a federal judge ruled. But in any case, Julio, uh, thanks for dropping by. Interesting talking. so much. Okay, Julio Rivera, you can tweet him at hey, uh, oh, excuse me, at oh, yeah, O-H-Y-E-A-H, it's I-T-S, Julio, J-U-L-I-O, and the ReactionaryTimes.com. Thanks, Julio. No problem. Have a great one, Tom. Yeah, you too. We'll be back. Fantasy football fans, the wait is nearly over. Football is back, which means FanDuel is back. FanDuel is fantasy football for everyday fans. They have new contests starting every week, so there's no busted seasons. FanDuel has something for everyone. Lots of contests to choose from, starting at just $1. Just pick a contest, choose your team, and watch your score in real time. Hey, would you like to have Colin Kaepernick on your team? He's on mine. There's a lot of ways to put together and personalize your team, and boy, the games just get better and better. Over 2.5 million players have won a cash prize playing fantasy sports on FanDuel. Sign up today. Go to FanDuel.com, click the Join Now button, and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M. New users get free entry into the NFL Sunday Million with over $1 million in cash prizes when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. Just visit FanDuel.com and sign up with promo code TOM, T-H-O-M. That's FanDuel, F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com, promo code TOM. Void where prohibited. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. We have a new podcast, by the way. It's available over at iTunes. It's called The Hartman Report, just an FYI. Tell me if you think that this uh, should be problematic, right? This is from today's Financial Times. Ben McClanahan in New York writing. Insiders, well, first of all, he, he points out Wall Street analysts have been saying for several years now, basically since 2009, 
saying buy stock in the big banks, right? The government has bailed them out. They're more profitable than ever. They're richer than ever. Their CEOs are making millions like never before. Uh, buy their stock. Then comes this. Ben McClanahan writing for the, for the Financial Times. Insiders at the big six banks buy assets. That would be J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley. Insiders at the six, big six banks buy assets have in total sold a net 9.3 million shares on the open market since the turn of the year. Sales by insiders outnumber purchases by 14 to 1. So what do they know that you and I don't know? Why is it that the, the senior executives, the insiders of J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley are selling 14 times more of their own stock than they are buying? Should it um, cause us to say, oh, really? Really? Meanwhile, at the uh, Charlottesville rally, the video is out now of this guy who fired into the ground. He started out, there was, there was a, a young African-American man who, who uh, this guy pointed a gun at. He, the, the young man had lit a, a, uh, a can of spray, hairspray, uh, so it kind of looked like a flamethrower. This guy pulls a gun out, aims it at the guy who's, who's, uh, you know, who's got the, the flamethrower, then shoots bang, right into the ground in front of this guy, and then goes marching off. And there's police officers all around watching this guy shoot at the ground near a protester. Not a word, right? Nothing done. Now, they finally arrested him because, you know, <laughs> the video's out there. Hey, police, do your damn job. But it's a tough thing. But I just, just, to, just to finish and kind of put a put a exclamation point on this thing. I'm saying that we need to be seriously concerned. The, the people in the anti-Trump movement, the people in the anti-fascist movement, you all need to be very, very, very careful because these guys, they're coming after you. And Donald Trump led the charge when Tuesday night he said, you know, they show up in the helmets and the black masks and they got clubs and they got everything. Antifa, said Trump. Right. Over the decade, Todd Gitlin, writing in the New York Times today, he says, over the decade ending in 2016, this is 10 years, over the decade ending last year, estimates of the percentage of politically motivated killings committed by right-wing extremists range from 73 to 92%, according to the conservative Daily Caller. So, you know, they're saying, hey, the Antifa is the same thing as the right wing crazies, right? Except that Antifa has not killed anyone. And the right wing crazies have accounted for 73 to 92 percent of all deaths in the last 10 years committed by terrorists. I mean, this this should be a wake up call right, to all of us. And I'm just saying, be very careful. The, the uh, Marius van der Lubbe is, you know, the, the sentiment, basically. 
is is on it's it's here. Meanwhile, a Breitbart staffer has uh, said, "Okay, that's it. We're we're going after these guys. We're going to we're we're prepared to help Paul Ra- Ryan rally votes for impeachment." A high-level Breitbart staffer told Sherman. Uh, this is Gabriel Sherman, who's a writer for Vanity Fair. And he he interviewed some people at, at Breitbart. And you heard that right. This is from a piece by Aidan McLaughlin at Mediaite. You heard that right. A senior Breitbart staffer is claiming that if Trump betrays the populist nationalist message he ran on, the website will side with its arch nemesis, Paul Ryan, the House Speaker, to push for the impeachment of the president. Right. It's getting strange out there. Whoa. Yeah, I can't do that. It's getting, it's getting very, very strange out there. I'm telling you, it's getting very strange. Michael in Cassopolis, Michigan. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? Well, hi, uh, Tom. Yobaseo. Anyanikaseo. That's just Korean for top of the morning to you. Oh, okay. Thank you. So, Michael, we got about a minute and a half here. What's on your mind? I know. Uh, climate is what I wanted to talk about uh, in interconnectivity. You know, in the long history of human beings, we've always had a elder woman or elder man, um, uh, you know, a prophet, a seer, wise person, philosopher, doctor, you know, medicine, that kind of thing. And uh, I think uh, we, we lack that somewhat in this modern time, but basically, um, you know, if we create something, let's just say a meal, we take ingredients and we create, so we're aware of it. And why would the earth uh, not be aware of us since we are created from it? In other words, when I walk in my woods, uh, I understand there's a relationship between the trees and fungus. It's called mycorrhiza. And I just feel that when I walk, there, there's an awareness. And there I, is. The forest I, knows I that you're walking it. through it. And, I and, walk through it, and there's, there's uh, an understanding. You know, sometimes it's almost a little bit of a, like an old growth, because it's been in my family so long. You know, the trees fall, and things grow from that. And mm-hmm. the branches and limbs above, and I have to watch out, because they'll fall down. But nothing's happened so far. But I think... Uh, we, uh, with this, uh, in other words, in my region here, this little corner of the earth, most of the, the, the lows, the temperature, daily low temperature, anywhere from the 1890s to 1940, the lows, right? And, you know, the highs are more recent. Yeah. Michael, I got a boogie, but uh, thank you for the call. Welcome back. John in Kansas City, Missouri. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I'd like to make a few brief points, and then I'll listen to you. Okay. Uh, Number one, Hurricane 101. Uh, Hurricane is a nature's way of dissipating heat. And, of course, the Gulf Coast is right on the Gulf of Mexico, and it is hot there. And so that's what we're going through in Houston right now. Now, this area has about 7.5 million people. Houston is about four and a half million people. Where are they putting all these people? I don't see it on the TV. I don't see it like it was during Katrina where the 
convention center and and all that was just packed with people. Where are these people going? And uh, you know, is the uh, is the emergency system in place there getting getting these people out of the area? I think that What's there's going on. You know, there there are a lot of emergency services that are working and working well. The problem that they're facing is that nobody anticipated this level of water to come out of the sky. Um, I, I refer you, John, and, and everybody else to Al Gore's new movie, An Inconvenient Sequel. There is one 30-second clip out of that movie that I wish the media of the United States would be playing all over the country right now. And it shows a thunderstorm moving into an area. It's time-lapse photography. Um, so it's showing an event that took a couple of hours and about 30 seconds. And you watch this storm forming, and then you watch just this load of water come falling out of the sky. It looks like somebody just flipped a, a swimming pool upside down, or a million swimming pools. And just this, this ocean of water coming down and hitting the ground. And, and as that's happening, Al Gore said, you know, all storms are now global warming storms. There's no such thing as a storm that's not. There's five, 6% more moisture in the atmosphere. There's a degree more Celsius temperature. You're correct. Heat is energy, and tornadoes convert that heat energy into kinetic energy, into motion energy, basically. And, and uh, as, a, as a way of dissipating the heat, of course, it, it uh, ultimately ends up being very, very destructive. And this is a global warming crisis. And none of our media will talk about it because they don't want to offend the oil industry who buys so many ads on them. I mean, when you see an ad on a network, on a television network, that is talking about the wonders of gas or coal or oil or the fossil fuel industry or here at Exxon, we tried or any of that. They're not they're not trying to get you to call their 800 number and buy a gallon of gasoline. They're not trying to get you to even sh shop at their gas station next time. They don't show pictures of the gas stations. This is not brand awareness. This is pure and simple. They are buying influence with the networks. They are buying the network's silence and and it's working. And that's why they've been doing it so long. It's the same reason why Coke Industries, in my opinion, is advertising, because the Koch brothers don't like themselves being covered on network television. But, you know, at least that's my theory. Anyway, but that's, that, that's what I think is going on. John, thanks for the call. Roy in New York City. Hey, Roy, what's up? How are you, Tom? I'm uh, fine. A couple of things, that, as far as Arpaio was concerned, he's a lawbreaker. The guy's a criminal, and, yep. and Trump honors him. But I think at some point we have to look at the mental stability of the president of the United States. Um, he, uh, uh, however, we do that or call for that. But the problem, one of the problems is, I, I mean, obviously I wouldn't know it, all of them or be able to analyze it. But the fact of the matter is we're unwilling to say something is wrong with this person. What is it going to take? Is, is, should he release a nuclear weapon? Should he, he shoot someone on Fifth Avenue, which he bragged about at one point? There are no limits to this person. He's a sociopath by definition. So that's the problem. When are we, we editorially, uh, uh, as Americans, going to say something is wrong here? I'm not saying to figure it out. I don't want to tell you how I watch. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, Roy, the Republican Party is not unaware of everything that you just laid out. And they're just hanging in there hoping that Trump can continue, continue to manipulate a large enough portion of, of the American populace that we refer to as his base 
that he can continue to manipulate them into thinking that he can do no wrong while he he does away with regulations of the fossil fuel industry so that they can dump more poison in our, in our water and air while he does away with regulations on the banking industry so that they can put more poisons into our checking account and our retirement accounts. He wants he's fought the fiduciary rule. He wants, excuse me. He wants banks to be able to lie to us anytime they want. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. All these all, all these things that, that, that Trump has done. And at some point, the Republican Party is going to say, you know, this guy is hurting us. But they're not there yet. They still, they, you know, they, he, he wasn't able to get, you know, blowing up uh, Obamacare and thus a $600 billion tax break for the billionaire class that supports him and, and all the Republicans. Wasn't able to pull that off. But they still hope that he can pull off a giant tax cut for millionaires and billionaires. They still hope that he can end the estate tax on millionaires and billionaires. They still hope that he can, that he can uh, you know, destroy some of these national monuments and turn the, the, the wealth in the ground over to some of the millionaires and billionaires. You know, they're, they're, they're still hopeful that, that uh, you know, he might even start a war someplace and really help the military-industrial exactly. complex. And, and that's the scary part. That's yeah. the scary part of him. So I'm saying there has to be, at some point, boundaries which will bring about that Howard Baker moment uh, that we had with Nixon. Right. Um, well, keep in mind that Howard not, Baker moment was like three years coming. Right. Maybe it was two years, well, but it was a long time from the time that the Watergate burglar was three years to do it, because this is so obvious. This is very different. And at least Richard Nixon was denying it or, or saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. This character is bizarre. He's bragging about Each it. Day, there hasn't been a day. Since he's been in office, he doesn't want to be president. He wants to inflict pain upon people. There's something wrong with him. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think the man is, is a sociopathic narcissist with a streak of sadism. I don't disagree at all. But, uh, you know, then, then the question becomes, what do we do? And this is my point about the Republican Party. At some point, they're going to say the distractions and the circus are not helping us do the billionaire's business. And when that day comes... They know that Mike Pence will absolutely do the billionaire's business, and so they will they will eject Donald Trump, or they'll sit him down like Howard Baker did with with uh, Richard Nixon and say, "Son, you got to resign." And you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, Trump doesn't take well to being told what to do, but on the other hand, if somebody's telling him work less, goof off more, he may be very excited about that. Roy, thanks for the call. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have the latest news and information from Wall Street and Main Street, all points in between. Plus, best of the rest of the news. And don't forget, democracy begins with you. Get out there, show up, participate, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.